Okay, it's Champ Week. Welcome back or welcome to Ted and Yogi's Pactual Adventure alongside Michael Molinari, courtesy of our friends at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. And it's on, as in Pac-12 Champ Game is on and rolling Friday from Vegas. Let's go. We'll be there. Utah, Oregon, twice in the 13 days. The matchups we will break down. Huge news on the coaching front, of course. Lincoln Riley swings the power back to the West Coast. We'll talk about that. Kalen DeBoard, he is at UW. Chip Kelly, we think he is staying. Brian Kelly, he is not. Of course, Notre Dame plays Notre Dame a couple times. And Jake Dickert, interim tag, removed head coach. Who knows by the time you listen to this, what else will have happened? Ted, Michael, what's happening? There's a championship well, game this weekend? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well, we hey, guys, we talked about this on our Saturday game from Arizona State, and I, I'm very blunt. I mean, this is now what, what's happened, especially in the last 12 to 18 hours as we're recording this. I mean, let's just – I mean, everybody just throw the veneer away. This is still – it's still football being played on college campuses by universities. By, by, by the way, 95 to 98% of the players who will never play a snap in the NFL. So all of that has to be remembered. But, man, everything else about it is professional. Just call it what it is. And, uh, and it's um, unfortunately because lives get altered dramatically right now. College football is now very much squarely in the realm where their December, as we, as we have hit it this week, is now the equivalent of NFL's January. It's just a complete month of change, upheaval lives changing, and in this case, both coaches and players. What I find interesting is in the past, it was always coach gets fired. So it's the administration and the schools making decisions. Now it's coaches leaving and leaving under the cloak and shadows of secrecy and their teams don't even know and they hear from the media. And it's a different, it's a bit different than it has been. and it's, uh, you know, very surprising, some of the moves, I think. Yeah. Well, let's, so let's start with with the one, right? Yeah. Let's start with Lincoln Riley. I got to spend some time with him yesterday. I want to fill you guys in on that. Um, and, and you'd love it, Ted. I thought of you and Michael and, and Jill Savage, of course. Uh, when I walked into the Coliseum, the first guy I saw, Alex Grinch. Right. And of course, we've all kind of come to love him. And he was rumored he was coming, didn't really know. And he pulls up on the golf cart. We had, uh, you know, our embrace and what's up and catching up and he's fired up. Right. So that name, of course, is known in this league. He'll be the defensive coordinator at SC. They bring the strength coach. They bring a wide receiver coach, Dennis uh, Simmons, who was a leech guy and then was at uh, Wazoo. And then, of course, went over to Oklahoma and they bring a director of football operations as well. Uh, But overall, I'll say this. USC, if we're going to be truth tellers on this, over the last handful of years with Lane, Sark, and Clay, it never seemed smooth, right? There was always drama. There was always something going on. And from the presentation of the head coach overlooking the Coliseum at the stadium, uh, there was media members, there was donors, there were some big alums, Mark Sanchez, Matt Liner, but it was just clean. And then you look at the search and they detailed it. It was clean. You didn't hear rumors. There weren't leaks. It was... Uh, Mike Bone and Brandon Sosna, his chief of staff, those two went after it and they had two and a half months to do background checks, to talk to people in the industry. And even for Lincoln Riley, he said he never even thought about it. And then he got a call from his team Saturday after his game 
Saturday night, he had a call with USC representatives. And by Sunday morning, I talked to Bruce Feldman because he tweeted out, there's interest. And I said, Bruce, you don't put stuff out there unless it's real. And he goes, Yoga, I think it's going to happen. And three hours later, it happened. So Michael talked about this swiftness. Um, this was super swift. And Lincoln Riley saying, wow, I got a great situation. I'm a top 10 program every year, top four program a lot of the times. But I see the opportunity out west. And, man, I just think right now in this time and space with college football and NIL and L.A. and the Pac-12 and SC, I think he's going to crush it. Well, here, here's the other thing I would say, because um, all these things I think are connected. Yogi, I'm really happy to hear you say that. And we have, I want to ask you one question in a second. But every, there are connections to everything. Um, Oklahoma is going eventually going to end up in the SEC. And we've talked about this on the pod this year, and I'm sure the other pods on our network have all said the same thing. Look, Oklahoma and Texas don't go unless they believe the CFP is going to be a much bigger field, whatever that number is. There's no way they're going to the SEC if it's a 14 playoff. No shot. Lincoln Riley may look at that landscape and think, okay, SEC, we understand what that league's going to be. Or I can think of two words that would attract me to USC. Pete Carroll. Yeah. What did Pete Carroll do? Pete Carroll made himself a coaching legacy. His coaching legacy is not really going to be the Seattle Seahawks. I don't think it's going to be USC. What he did at USC, one of the country's most storied programs. When Pete took over USC football, it was pretty much similar, I think, to where it is today. So Lincoln Riley can do what Pete Carroll did. And no matter what you do at Oklahoma, you will never be in that same level if you can achieve that at USC. Yeah. Michael, I'm curious, um, when, it, when you heard that thing come across your phone and then have subsequently, you know, obviously watched this presser, et cetera, what, what do you think about Lincoln and the move? Well, I think that what jumped out of me is he decided not to go to an SEC school. He decided not to stay at a school that was going to be in the SEC, and he chose USC instead. And the first thing that jumped out at me is, how are Feinbaum and company going to spin this to, <laughs> to, to somehow being negative for the Pac-12? Yeah. So yeah. I guess yeah. cynicism was the first thing that jumped into my head, but not about Lincoln, just about how it was going to be spun. Um, but so I don't think you could spin it any other way than somebody feels the USC job is better than two SEC jobs. I don't know how else you can spin it. So I, I, I'm sure it will be spun, but uh, that's the first thing I thought about. And then I was, uh, you know, it just felt like, wow, this is the first time in a while the Pac-12 hasn't been raided by somebody, but rather we brought somebody in that was coveted. And I think that's that's a long time coming. So I'm glad the USC administration got it done. Yeah, good good point there. And I'm, boy, Michael, you've really hung around me too long. <laughs> You start being cynical. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me say this in response to that. Um, number one, I believe this. And, and Lincoln kind of referenced it yesterday. But what he did at Oklahoma, he came in as a young OC at 32 years old and obviously did extremely well. And then he gets the job. We all remember that. I, was, I remember I was in New York City walking around and it came across my phone that uh, Bob Stoops was retiring. This was like after spring ball. This was like May. And you're thinking, whoa, this is nuts. Who, who's this head coach at Oklahoma? And my point is that he learned from a guy that's going to be a Hall of Famer in college football. 
And then he took it and put his own twist on it. But now he comes to SC and he gets to build it. And it's not from the ground up because I don't think SC starts on the ground. Like it's elevated because of its history and like SC still does recruit itself to a degree. Um, but he's he's starting at the lowest point it's been in a while to Ted's point. They had 25,000 people in the stands-ish in the UCLA and BYU game. And BYU is probably more BYU fans than SC fans. That stadium should not have 25,000 people in it for anything other than maybe the spring game. Maybe, right? So with that, I think he's just motivated. That's what came across yesterday. I get an opportunity to build this thing with all the resources. They're going to improve facilities. They're going to give him all the things that he needs from a staffing standpoint. You you know that. We knew that already because that's what they gave Clay Helton. They went from like mid-20s to mid-40s over the last two years on their staff. And then I think the reality, and whether it's the mouth of the South or other people around the country that want to say, well, he was scared of that league. That league is living in a world of its own. That's just what it is. They became a super conference. They have their deal, their TV deal. Everything is within their own playground. Cool. Go get it. And you'll kick out however many teams that get invited to the CFP every year. But I don't think you have the ability to be special there, right? At least right now. Like Saban has been an icon over his, it's a decade now or so at Alabama. Name another school that has kind of been that you can't say it about georgia yet they're super competitive you'll say the same thing about all the teams in that league super competitive at sc you get to be kind of what oklahoma was in the big 12 to a degree except you do it in la and he referenced it yesterday he gets to recruit his backyard oklahoma you gotta you gotta go you gotta get on a plane he's gonna get in his you know in his car and drive down the 405 he's gonna drive up the 101 he's gonna drive you know east into the valley like I just think that the opportunity when you take away even us working for the Pac-12 and you look at it and you say, blue blood, okay, there's a couple of those that are available, but who are we competing against necessarily? This is the premier school historically, and it's a really cool time in the league with media rights, with a new commissioner. I mean, it's kind of all perfect in terms of how it netted out for it to bring in a 38-year-old who will be here as long as you know he wants, call it six, eight, ten years, and then go to his next thing, because that's the industry. And I think he's going to have a chance, as you referenced, Pete, to do something similar to him. Yeah. Hey, Yog, uh, all right, offense. We know Grinch is coming in for defense. Lincoln Riley, Graham Harrell. There's a pre-prior hook there. What do you sense on the offense? I'm excited. And so you guys know this, but our listeners don't. I spent the offseason studying Oklahoma's run game. So I wanted to see, like, okay, here's Air Raid Tree, but, man, they run it so well. What do they do? Yeah. And we did it in our game. They move their old linemen around, right? So whether they're pulling them or just doing different creative things and make it really challenging for defenses just to get after the quarterback. Because what has happened to Air Raid quarterbacks, Ted? We've, they we've get seen crushed. Exactly. They get crushed. Doesn't really happen under Lincoln Riley. Right? They've been protected well for the most. So this year was a little more challenging. They had, they had some holes. But overall – Again, to the air raid, the number one line is that it's a philosophy, not necessarily a scheme. So everybody's got their own twist to it. So I think, yeah, they're going to deal. They're going to throw it around. But when you go watch Oklahoma play, you don't feel like they're running Leach's offense if you that's, put them side by side. See, and Yogi, that's the point. And we did this we did this pod about the air raid in the offseason. And that was really where I was coming from was the Leach air raid, which yeah. to me was what USC ran last year. And I went crazy, as we talked about, watching the champ game last year and they're, they just, they just didn't do anything to adjust to try to stop Thibodeau. And he was just screaming at the TV watching this. So my point is you just said that about Oklahoma, 
And the point that I've heard repeatedly from NFL people is what Kingsbury has done in Arizona with the Cardinals is that, yeah, you're running air raid, but you're understanding, okay, I need to use bigger bodies once in a while. I need to have a tight end or H back on the field once in a while to double to chip. And yeah, guess what? We're going to run something. (laughs) And those are the things that, that USC to me, as we saw the season go along this year, we started to see some of that get incorporated, but that's the root of my question to you is where does Riley, in your view, where do you see Riley taking the USC offense on that, on that track? Yeah, I, I think it's going to, I mean, look, he was with the number one running back in the country, arguably last night recruiting, right? Mm-hmm. First day on the job, he was down there um, or in Northern California, I believe in Stockton uh, doing a visit. So I think they're going to be really physical up front. And I think that everybody involved with USC football, and again, I go back to the two and a half months that the leadership had, they all heard it, and nobody wanted just to kind of throw the ball and not be physical at the line of scrimmage. You even felt it with Dante Williams, and we need to give him his props, too, of having to do something that was, you know, as challenging as it gets to take over a program in week two. And you saw him as the season went on even shift. Hey, they ran the ball more. I mean, go look at their last game, right? Trying to hand the ball to their backs with mm-hmm. Imelapai, one of his better games. So I, I think that's going to be the identity, man. I think it's going to be a physical team. Um, that's a new age offense. Do, do you think Harrell is going to be the OC? That's a great question. I mean, those guys obviously go back to the Texas yeah. Tech days. Uh, Graham's been awesome. Uh, Every time, uh, you know, I've been around him, uh, it's obviously been a challenging year. I'm sure he's going to have his suitors. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Lincoln has been the play caller, to my understanding, everywhere he's yeah. been. Yeah. I don't know, Graham, he's got a new baby. Like, who, who knows? Like, maybe he wants to stick around with his young family. Uh, it'd be, it's fun. I, I, I say this. I, I talked to Liner yesterday, and I said, hey, man, I've been watching you on air. You've been doing great this year. And he goes, yeah, hey, it'd be pretty fun if I, if I came and worked here. He goes, this guy gets you excited. My point is that you, the reset at big-time programs – doesn't happen every year, right? So the opportunity for staff members to get excited about, this could be pretty cool here, right? Graham came to SC because he saw the prowess and ability that SC had, right? The pageantry around it. So I don't know. Um, I'm sure it'll shake out over the next couple of days, uh, but it'd be, it'd be fun. I, I do think they got the piece. I think they got the piece in Jackson Dart to build around. Yeah. I, I got uh, one for you, Yogi. Not... Maybe an unfair question to ask, but it's a pod, so whatever. Um, how long? Because we know the fans expect the college football playoff next season. Is that a like? How long will this process take? Legit, like realistically. Yeah. Well, I think we all know that they've got to be better on both sides of their offense and defensive line. There, you look at their defensive front, and they just don't look like um, the elite teams. They don't look like the teams in the title game in our league, right? So they've got to do better there. I don't imagine this being a dramatic portal year, right? Of like, they're going to go get every guy in the portal and just, you know, be free agency. I think they'll be strategic with that. I think this is a build. Um, I think they'll be highly competitive. Um, look at this year. They were preseason favorite to win the South. I think 27 votes. And then Utah had a few, ASU had two or three, and UCLA had one. So I think they'll be in the dialogue for the South. I think regarding the CFP, I think it's going to be two to three years before they can throw down against the proverbial Ohio States, Bama's, et cetera. And, and I think that's fair because I, I believe this. Uh, and I know that and we'll talk about it like, you know, Herm Edwards, he's going to go and hit the portal, right? That's what he's been doing all week at ASU. Jed Fish is in 11 states in five days. I, I'm a fan of you got to build it. You got to build culture with young guys. 
right? Versus guys that are coming in on a business decision solely of one year, I'll play for you and I'm out, especially when you're a new head coach. So I hope that he does what a lot of people aren't doing, which is build through high school and and develop that program, especially here in Southern California uh, with all the talent that they have. So, all right, um, before we move on. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, yo. I was going to okay. we have other coaches to talk yeah, about. Exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So before we get to uh, Wazoo, UW, et cetera, uh, I just want to let you know a little bit more of our partners at Bet River Sportsbook. Uh, if you haven't signed up, it's Champ Week, so now is literally the time. It's going to be a blast. Come hang out with us in Vegas. Uh, they're offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. What sets them apart is they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash money. Their new Rush Pay instant approval element allows your withdrawings to be safer, more secure, and more reliable than ever before. So here we are, Champ Week. Get out on the action, betrivers.com today. Download the Bet Rivers iOS app. You must be 21 years or older. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Ted, Michael, I would imagine if you are a gambler, you probably didn't see uh, Jake Dickard being the head coach preseason. <laughs> at Wazoo, and you probably didn't see Kalen DeBoer being the head coach at UW, but that is our reality. Same state, two new coaches, neither of their predecessors ever coached in the Apple Cup, which is crazy in and of itself. Curry, like, what, what did you think? Like, did you think when Dickard won the Apple Cup, were you just kind of waiting for the tweet to come through that he was going to be the head coach? Yeah, I mean, personally, again, we were only there the one time this year, and it was the week before they made the change. But as you know, Yogi Yogi has a strong relationship with Pat Chun. We had a good visit with Pat Chun, the AD up there. So we know what they went through, what the school had to go through. And to see how it ends up, how can you not be happy? You know, we've had, we had one week of exposure to Jake Dickert, so it's not a lot to make a massive judgment. But when you see the way the team played, and, and I was happy because he finally got freshman of the week honors this week, finally, Jaden Delora. Yeah. Because that kid who, again, I, I freely admit when the first check, the eye test, you're not sure, week in, week out, that little dude competes and and he fights and they won. And good for them. So the, the whole story is good. The, the other side of the state, which, of course, was the big story this year, um, all I know is we did probably the single best, most exciting football game we covered all year was Fresno State at UCLA. And what did we hear the week going into that game? This is back in September now. Every UCLA person we talked to said what? Man, Fresno State's well-coached. They really know what they're doing. Well-schemed, everything. 100% positives across the board. They fall a game short of, of getting into their conference championship game. But I think, you know, that's, that's to me, from what Jen Cohen did at Washington, this is um, uh, – she didn't succumb – to the temptation and it's very very strong and understandable in this era of winning the press conference to me she hired who everybody would say damn good football coach yeah i'm with you there man um uw didn't want to be in the scenario they're in but they're there and i think having connected with jen and their team there, like they had a massive search they talked to all the big names and where they netted out was that Kalen DeBoer was the best fit for their program. And I went back to our notes for calling that game and think of his mentors, right? Um, Bob Allen, who's a coach uh, who, who really guided a team to a national championship. Uh, Tom Allen at Indiana and Jeff Tedford. 
right? If you look at that and the other stops in between, right? He's he was the head coach at Sioux Falls, so it's not like he's just been a head coach for a couple seasons. Um, he's been at Eastern Michigan. He's been at smaller places. Both of these coaches have in the state of Washington, but I think for Kalen to start there. I think that his expertise schematically, just like Tedford, is off the charts. Talk to anybody who's been around him, whether it's Jake Hayner or whether it's Trent Dofer or whether it's his coaching staff, been incredible. He's going to bring his OC with him as well, who was really impressive, obviously, all season long. Uh, and I look at Jake. To me, Jake was probably the best quarterback we saw all season. Right? I mean, you referenced Jaden. He was balling, but... No, right? without question. The single best quarterback we saw play a game this year, I would agree with that, was Jake Hayne. Yeah, so now what does Jake do? Right, yeah. Jake's got the opportunity to go to the Senior Bowl. He's got an opportunity to go back to Fresno. Uh, there's rumors that Jeff Tedford's going to take that job again. Right, He's healthy. He wants to get back to coaching at right. Fresno State. That I would, would be a great, That'd be a great outcome, by the way, for both sides, if that happens. Yes. Yeah, and then does, what, you know, what, what happens at UW? Right. They have a lot of quarterbacks on that or they have two quarterbacks on the roster. They were huge recruits. Sam Heward being the biggest one. He started in the Apple Cup, which I get it. He, he saved his red shirt. He played in only four games, but he had no chance, in my opinion, in that game. His first start against that type of defense. It was just a challenge for him. He competed his tail off, but obviously yeah. they, they lose the game. So it's going to be I don't think the news is done at UW with what Kalen is bringing. And I do think, to your point, they may not have gotten the name like SC did, but SC didn't just hire the hot name either. They hired a very capable coach that's perfect yeah. for them. And, and let's, let's also, you, you touched on a name there. Uh, in this era, the question every athletic director immediately gets when they have a head coaching vacancy, are you going to use a search firm? Yeah. <laughs> Jen Cohen had a pretty good search firm called Chris Peterson. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's part of, what's, part of what Coach Pete's doing in his, in his you know, after leaving coaching, he's there. And what a beautiful asset to have if you're Jen Cohen to use someone of, of Coach Pete's caliber to help say, yeah, these are the people I think we ought to look at. And, hey, maybe this is the candidate that's the best. And just a reminder, sorry, Michael, is that remember the year that I, I'll never forget this. So Tedford's out. He comes to Elite 11 and he watches Jake Hayner throw and he goes, whoa, who's that dude? Well, do you know where he was a, a consultant with that next season? Yes, the University of Washington. He and Chris Peterson go way back to the Oregon days, OC, yeah. wide receiver coach. Um, so I say that because, like, philosophically, you felt, at least I felt, and I, I think we'd all agree, you're going to have somebody that was tied to Chris, right? Not directly or indirectly, whether it was Justin Wilcox directly, Brent Brennan indirectly, or Kalen DeBoer, you know, indirectly through Tedford. Like, there was going to be some connection there. So big props from Jen to involve Coach Pete. And, and that's why I think this hire is going to be great. Like, it won't be splashy. Uh, they'll have their press conference on Tuesday of this week. But I, I'm excited for them. I think the players are going to love them. Um, I agree with Ted. It's courageous not to concern yourself so much about winning the press conference. But on that same line, you want to win, I'll call it the living room. When those coaches go in and the recruiting battle's going on, are they going to be able to win the living room, A, and B in this era doesn't matter anymore because of the portal. So yeah. this might be the big name might not be as important as it once was. And, you know, I don't know these guys might walk in and win the living room. I don't know. Their, their name isn't going to, but when they sit down and have mm -hmm. to sell themselves in the school, they may be as good yeah. as anybody. Time will tell. That's a great phrase. Yogi, by the way, I just looked this up. Michael and I, this is like 15 years together. That was 
the third time this year, Michael has said, I agree with Ted. That's a new record. <laughs> Gary, I just it. checked. I just checked it up. Just checked the record. Thank you, Michael. Well, w- one last note. And I, I, I think you guys would agree. And Michael would agree with, with, with us, Ted, on this one for Washington state. They hired Jake Dickard. A major reason they hired Jake Dickard was because of how he managed his program through chaos, mm-hmm. but also in my eyes, how the offense managed chaos. The offense was impacted more than the defense in this thing. So it was Jake Dickert's leadership from the top. But Brian Smith, I know we can't vote for the Frank Broyles Award. That, that's already done. But in this league, if that was going to give a top assistant of the year, Brian Smith's in the dialogue. Right? He came yeah. over with Rolo. He was the play caller, then wasn't the play caller. And then they lose assistants, including Craig Stutzman and Rolo, who were calling the plays, and, of course, the head coach. And he stayed and brought in two guys outside of the program to coach offense. And how did they win? I get, yeah, they played well defensively, but offensively, did they move the ball or what? Right? Jaden Delora will come into next season with all the hype at the quarterback position that he deserves. So I'm excited to see what Jake Dicker does. I'm sure he'll make some changes on the staff there. But, man, what worked, what got him the job, in my eyes, was the collective group, right? The offensive staff, how they, you know, kept it together. And, of course, how the team reflected what Jake's leadership was. And I texted with Jake earlier this week. She's congratulating him. And I loved what he sent back. He said, I'm going to do this for all the small school guys that may not get a chance at a big-time college football job. And and that's him and Caleb. Um, I I think uh, another news that came out this week, I don't know that it surprised us because we were around this program a fair bit this year. But it gets into the next level, which are staff changes. In Colorado, we're leaving Darren Shiverini as OC. And again, it's, it's tough because Shiverini a longtime buff, very identified with the program. But again, the vibe, certainly in my view, being around that, I think we had four Colorado games, Michael, is that right? You could just yeah. sense that where Cardarell wanted to be and where Darren was were just different. And that happens, uh, you know. So it's the unfortunate part and it's where Colorado's going. And I think it leads to the next obvious question very much in my backyard at the end of its football season is where Stanford goes. Having now finished its, this is the worst record it's had in 15 years. It's, you know, incredibly, given David Shaw's brilliant record there, what's happened the last two full seasons definitely stand out. And you can't, where I come from as someone, and, and I've had a lot of my time in my football life invested at Stanford, working for them in prior life is, I know how hard it is to sustain momentum at a school like Stanford. It's extraordinarily hard. And by the way, the greatest coaches like Bill Walsh, who never did it, never did it. It was Jim Harbaugh that started it and David Shaw that built it. And they're the only ones in the history of Stanford football that have had an extended period of success. You just don't want to lose that. And I think this off season, these next couple of weeks, I think are very, you know, David's going to have to make some incredibly difficult, but even more important decisions on continuity and where he wants to go to respond to three and nine. Think about this. I don't know if you guys watched his press conference after the game against Notre Dame, uh, but I watched it and I talked to some people within the program and look, this is a team that's got top 15 recruiting class next year with the record that they finished this season at, right? Stanford guys don't necessarily decommit very often because of the process to even get a scholarship offered to them um, academically. Uh, so I, I I can't wait to watch it because I do think to the to the decisions that you referenced, Ted, I think they're going to have to 
probably talk to some players as well around like, hey, this is this is the plan moving forward, right? Because guys want to know, like, what are we going to do? Like, how is this going to flip? Because they're losing players, like the defensive linemen, uh, but everything else you'd argue is staying the same, right? It's not like Stanford can go get a bunch of guys in the transfer portal. Like Isaiah Sanders um, was the second guy ever, right? Uh, the defensive lineman, uh, Brennan Scarlett, uh, Brennan Scarlett was the first one, right, years ago when they went to the Rose Bowl, who came over from Cal, right? But they don't do that very often. So you're going to have to win with the players you have. And I think when you look at some of their games, UW, Wazoo, every chance to go win that game. Cal, David referenced in his coach shop referenced in his press conference of, man, I wish that we scored and all of a sudden it could be 14 nothing, right, in the big game. But you look at since Oregon, right, and especially at the end of the season, they've been blowout losses. Yeah. Blowout it's, losses. So I, I think it's also uncompetitive. Un, yeah. So yes. I just think that my point is that, like, I think that the, the mindset of the players also needs to be addressed within this one. Right. So this is how we're going to fix this, guys, versus waiting till day one of spring ball. Like, I think there's a lot of healing that has to go on within that team because we are in a different era. We're in a different era where guys come and go. And I don't think there's a lot of guys coming to Stanford that have played in college football based on the challenges to get in there. So I think it's about the players that are there and saying, hey, I'm Michael Wilson. I am um, Elijah Higgins. I am the litany of running backs. I'm Tanner McKee. I'm an offensive line like. We've got the pieces, guys. Turn on the Oregon game. Yeah. And, and you know, and that's, and you know, you're 100% right. I think, you know, the obvious look, challenge at Stanford is a private school. This has been going on forever. So David Shaw is hardly the first coach to encounter. You, you're not recruiting on the same level as, as the teams you're playing against. Everybody at Stanford has always understood that. So this is no surprise. But now in this world of, transfer portal and particularly graduate transfers that doesn't work at Stanford very very rare so you're at a disadvantage which makes what I'm going to say here I think even more important I had somebody the other day uh, somebody extremely smart extremely experienced and said something to me that rings even more true of since what's happened in the last 12 hours and they said what David Shaw might want to think about is talking to Brian Kelly Five years ago, Notre Dame was four and eight. 2016, mm. Notre Dame went four and eight with the only, by the way, the only NFL quarterback that Brian Kelly has ever had in his 12 years at Notre Dame, Deshaun Kaiser, was the starting quarterback that year. And they went four and eight. And what Brian Kelly did after that year, because four and eight in Notre Dame doesn't work very well. So there were some clamps starting to tighten and he made dramatic changes. He gave up some play calling hired and he made staff changes, which is, you know, it's an occupational hazard. No one likes it, not advocating for it, but it is an occupational hazard. And Brian Kelly from that four and eight, they've won 10 games each year, (laughs) five straight years. They've won 10 or more games. So somebody said this to me the other day and you would think since I am a I am to Notre Dame as Michael Molinari is to Tesla. I'm a shareholder. Okay. <laughs> and, and so I, you know, I do have a little bit of, you know, I have a little bit of, of stake in the game and that didn't even hit me until this person said it to me. Went, wow. That's, that's it. That's it. That's a hundred percent. Right. And so again, I, I understand all of these things are hard issues to talk about. We live it in our business. There are, and I keep saying occupational hazards. I think David has hit that moment where he's going to have to make, 
again, very, very tough calls. And I don't know what they're going to be, and I'm not advocating for anything. I just know that Stanford can't let what they built during the 2010s slip because it is so – at Stanford, it's 10 times harder to regain it than it would be at any other school. And I, by the way, for, for those of you that are Pac-12 fans, you, you don't think I'm – look at men's basketball. Look at Stanford men's basketball. If you think I'm not right on that front, look what's happened. Stanford men's basketball completely lost, has lost everything Mike Montgomery built over a Hall of Fame coaching career there. It's gone. It's been gone for too long, and it's finding it extraordinarily hard now to come back. So I think the same thing applies to football. And by the way, so since we're on, you know I'm going to get back to this. Since we're on the Kelly front, Chip Kelly, eight and four, Bravo, just a tremendous, you know, and let's face it, I, I, I'm one that discounts last year. And I know the LA Times, you know, clearly somebody's gotten to them and they're trying to get him fired. But it's only the third full year, in my view, three full years that, that Chip has been the coach. Same with Herm at Arizona State. Eight and four, that's, that's good. That's a big step in the right direction. You watch the sideline, as I try to do during games, you see how the players interact and how they interact with the coaching staff. Looks good. We're not in the room. I'm not in the room, so I can't be 100% sure. But the appearance is good. And Chip Kelly, who I've been around before, and we've been around a few times this year, uh, we've talked with Chip a few weeks ago about this coaching change thing. And Chip, again, I've heard it several times. You guys heard it a few weeks ago. Never, Chip says, never has he ever talked to a team before his current team season ended. Right? When he was leaving Oregon, and I know, you know, it, it happened several times. He eventually did leave Oregon, but he has said this. And he has been vehement about coaches leaving before their season's over or firing assistant coaches in the middle of a season, as we've seen become Vogue on two fronts now. So Kelly, there's one Kelly. Here's another Kelly. Another Kelly just left his school. When they have a chance to be in the CFP, and no one's talked about this, and I've resisted the last few weeks because I understand what it's like when someone talks up Notre Dame. You know, people like Molinari roll their eyes and they can't stand it. And, uh, but Notre Dame has crushed its opponents the last four weeks. I mean, crushed. So if you want to talk about metrics and then eyeball tests, I'm not saying Notre Dame should be in it. I'm just saying they are absolutely in the final pool of teams to be in the CFP. And their coach leaves, and he's done. He is done. The athletic director just said it a couple of hours ago. Brian Kelly will not be part of, of Notre Dame football, <clears throat> excuse me, from this day forward. That's stunning to me. That is stunning. And if that doesn't jolt everybody <laughs> into where college football is today, but let me just finish my rant here. Michael, does this qualify as a soapbox? <laughs> you have papers. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> but no, this, and we're, we're, we're recording this on a Tuesday morning. And this is about two hours, maybe two and a half hours after Notre Dame's athletic director, Jack Swarbrick, just had a news conference about the Chip Kelly thing. So somebody and, and Jack Swarbrick had a couple of very pointed comments, one of which was someone asked him what he thinks the Chip Kelly and Lincoln Riley moves say about the college football landscape is Jack Swarbrick. I probably need more time to process that. Well said. But I think your question is the right one. I don't have the answer. But I think we better be asking, we better be asking what we want college football to be and how we make sure it still fits inside a university environment. 
And that to me is absolutely spot on. I, that's why I printed that out. So that's the question I'm asking. And, and I know, I mean, my Forrest Gump world, I know the president of the University of Notre Dame. I know that there was no chance on this planet that Notre Dame was ever going to get involved in trying to match what LSU just paid Brian Kelly. Somebody asked Jack Swarbrick, did, did Brian Kelly come back to you with a chance? And Jack calmly, and I'm just reading the transcript, but he said, no. And, and what I'm expecting said, there's no way. <laughs> Brian knew there was no way we're even going to get into that conversation. No shot. So this guy's to me, this is where we are. You have a coach leaving its team when they have a chance to be sure. in the national championship playoff. If this doesn't tell you where college football is right now in the Wild West, that it's both players and coaches, right? It used to be just coaches that could do this. Now we know players can do it. But, man, I think this is the biggest picture question in this crazy landscape-changing time that we faced in college football. You're going to do, do a promo, Yogi? You looked up, but I got to – no, no, you go. You go. Okay. I'm looking something up on, online okay. right now. All right. Uh, <laughs> two things I've learned this week. If a coach whines about the portal in any meeting next year, I'm getting up and walking out the door. That's number one. Number two, a contract is designed for one thing, to protect the employee, not the employer. A contract is a one-way street document yeah. that's what i've learned in the most recent days okay so there is a movie coming out on december 10th called national champions and it is starring uh an incredible actor um jk simmons and it is about i don't know if you've seen the trailer the trailer is amazing and it's oh. about the night before the week of the champ game at and it looks just like the cfp setup at the media uh like at media days a player, star player, stands up and says, you're making X amount of millions off this game, X amount of millions off these shows, and we're not making anything. I'm not going to play unless I get a share of the money. I, I say that because here we are, to your point, like, Brian Kelly leaving, okay, like it was kind of rumored that he would be looking, but to Ted's point of doing it, when literally your team is on the precipice of, Teams losing on Saturday have been in the playoff. I mean, they're in, right? Anybody loses that has one loss or if Cincinnati loses, Notre Dame's in the playoff. They don't even have to play. And he just bails. It, it, that's the part that kills me, right? I got no problem with Lincoln Riley leaving. They're done playing. And that's what I loved about Chip Kelly saying, even wherever Chip was, even when Jim Mora was the head coach at UCLA, Chip Kelly would not interview with Dan Guerrero unless they fired Jim Mora. Because of respect for the game, the freaking game. And I just think that sometimes we forget that we don't exist without the ball. And that we think we're, and I've always felt this, it's the smallest profession with the biggest egos. That's college football. And that's probably sports in general at the professional or big time college hoops. Michael used to tell me that was TV. Yeah, it probably is too. That, that's us. But I, it just, that one, um, it, it's, I don't have a problem with him going to LSU. I have a problem with like everybody making $10 million a year and signing these massive contracts and all these dominoes falling prior to the games being over. Yeah. You know, and exactly. so what, what, what has, what has, what forces that it's freaking early signing period. The port, think of the portal. I thought about this last night. The portal is open 24, seven, 365. 
what the what the f like i'm talking to so many quarterbacks in college football now that are like hey i'm i, I had a call at 9 45 this morning with a starting quarterback in power five football on the east coast he goes hey i gotta cancel illinois and another school just showed up at my house he's in college like yeah. what are we doing like we need to set some boundaries yeah. some i mean it's parenting you guys taught me as a young dad have a boundary with your kids like we have no boundaries so what are we doing amen screwing the players again you are so right yogi that's the word boundary perfect word and it's and right now i mean this is why i brought this point up and i understand this bleeds beyond the pac-12 but i'm saying how much i respect and admire chip kelly who I first had this conversation with five years ago when he was an NFL head coach about this very topic. And we re, we, the three of us were in the room when we revisited the topic with him a few weeks ago. And Chip's one of those people in sports as, as I've been around him more, I've, my opinion of him has, has changed totally. And I've come to totally respect his stance on yeah. so many things and his principles. And you go back, Yogi and I, this is this. I don't think I've ever asked Chip this directly, but I know the story. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers offered him their job when Oregon was getting, was just coming off the playoffs. And he would not talk to Tampa Bay until Oregon was eliminated. And when, so when Chip, I know that story, and he eventually did not take the job. He went back to Oregon for another year. But my point is, when he says this, it's not just words, his actions have backed up the words. And uh, look, when it comes to Brian Kelly, he coached at Notre Dame longer than any person in the modern era. Only Newt Rockley in a prehistoric years ever coached more. So him leaving, no one at Notre Dame, I can promise you, no one is surprised. And no one blames the money because Notre Dame would not go anywhere near that kind of money. But the timing's wrong. There's just no doubt. And so somehow we're in the anarchy of college football where I'm coming from is this needs to change. The timing of the sport needs to change. This crazy, ridiculous early signing day now, which is what's accelerating this, then the playoffs, which are going to get pushed later as TV gets more involved. Did you see Brian Kelly had assistant coaches in recruits homes yesterday, yeah. recruiting them for Notre Dame while he's at LSU taking this job? That's insane. It's insulting, frankly, soapbox. That's insulting yeah. because now you're, you're, you have, you're sending your, your ambassadors are going out and lying. They're lying in people's homes. That's just wrong. Wrong. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> we, need, we, need, we, 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 we're up against it here, but yeah. we need to talk about this championship game. Yes. Oregon, Utah, twice in 13 days. I've broken down all the games. I was up early this morning, watched them back. I got all my draws, watched the pregame show an hour before the game on the Pac-12 networks of the postgame show. We'll be there in Vegas. I'm curious, your gut, where do you guys go on this game? If Cam Rising, I watched his three touchdown passes last night. Two absolutely perfect, the only place could they could be thrown. And then one like little scoop over, just crazy on the fly, make it up as you go, backyard play. And all three were equally impressive. I think he's playing about as well as he's playing as well. No, he's playing better than any quarterback in this conference right now. And I think if Cam Rising can deliver, Utah is going to the Rose Bowl. Well, I'm, I'll let flip it to you, Yogi, on the football front. Oregon slowed Oregon State's run game. Very few people did that. How'd they do it, and can they do it to Utah the second time they play? Yeah. Yeah, I went back and watched all those games the last 24 hours. And regardless of who Utah has played, they are gashing teams 
defensive fronts. Uh, Tavion Thomas is an awesome back, but he's also not touched for like four, five, six, seven times, sometimes 10 yards, right? Because their whole line is just climbing and they did it against the Ducks. So what we're going to see, and I'm curious to see if Oregon continues to move their D-line pre-snap because Utah owned them every time they did that. I'm going to have a draw on that for the, for the pregame show. And Cam Rising is great at audibling, as we've seen at the line of scrimmage. And to Michael's point, him and his tight ends, he's just nails, right? So that matchup, the tight ends against Verone McKinley, Britton Covey and Verone McKinley, is going to be one to watch. Mm-hmm. And Kayvon Thibodeau and this defensive front, they've got to hold their point. They didn't in the previous game. So I, I like Oregon. Hold their point. It, what do you say when like, you say hold like, their like, point? What do you mean? Hold, like like where if I lined up across from you on the okay. defensive front, I can't get washed down to another gap. Okay. That They, they were just getting moved. Guys were just okay. getting moved at the line of scrimmage. Now, Utah has an injury. They're going to possibly play a true freshman at left guard. Right? They had an injury last week. Keaton Bills went out of that game. So we'll see what happens in that regard. Um, you know, Oregon has had their fair. I don't think this is necessarily fair either, but Utah did have an extra day of rest in championship game, playing the same team twice in 13 days as we referenced. So that's advantage Utah. And then I go back to Anthony Brown. I say, well, when he's on, he looks good. When he runs the ball well, they look good. But I just think he's got to be he's got to be really accurate in this game. And he hasn't been consistently dramatically accurate all season. So I don't think he's going to be a different player. So I I think it's really hard to beat a team twice. I think that Oregon can come in and win this game and possibly be in the two-loss discussion if Oklahoma State loses and Cincy loses and Bama loses. Like, they'll be in that discussion for two of the spots that remain among three or four teams. I think they can go win this game. But my head on this one says that I think Utah's the more consistent team. I I think they are. I think they're a more consistent team. Mm -hmm. So I think – They've been in two champ games. They've lost both of them, of course. One, of course, to Utah when they were on their way to the CFP with a win. I love the culture, what Mario's done there. I see them bouncing back. I think it's going to be a great game. But I just see, to Michael's point, I think Cam Rising makes one too many plays. And Mm -hmm. I think Utah goes to the Rose Bowl for the first time. Wow. Did I I read Yogi, too. Kyle says he's he's not – well, he's not retiring. He's having too much fun. I did read yeah. that last day he or two. He said that on uh, his presser yesterday. I watched it live. And he said, yeah, I've been hearing that. That's a rumor, too. But I've never had more fun in my career. Good. Let yeah. me tell you something. That That's that's great on two fronts. First of all, obviously, it's great for Utah and the Pac-12. <laughs> because that's the right now that and, and, and what Mario has done in early years at Oregon. Those are, the, those are the best programs in the conference. And secondly, he's earned the right to, to call his own shots. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's what we all want to have in life. Kyle's done that. So good for him. Did you think, mm-hmm. so you, so Yogi, what, what, where's your take on this? Any tact, you know, this is the bizarre thing that the PAC 12 has happened where these teams play twice in three weeks, these other conference championships, these schools haven't played. And what's the tactical flip that Mario and Oregon can make from the game a couple of weeks ago? Is there something you would you would watch for that we could all watch and say, hey, if we see them doing this in the first quarter, that's a direct correlation to what happened. Get your butt kicked two weeks ago. Yeah, well, I think when you go back and watch that game, it got so out of whack so fast yeah. that they never really got to run their offense. And and both of these teams are not good from behind because neither quarterback, I don't even think Cam Rising can sit back and deal all day. So they got to run the ball. Right. 
And, and they have to run the QB run game. You saw them against the Beavs. It was awesome. Travis died in motion multiple times from the wide out, from the slot. Like just making it, making the defense move a little bit. If you let Utah be stagnant and just play you, it's advantage Utah. If you're moving around, if you're shifting in motion with Joe Moorhead, who, oh, by the way, he might be gone too after this game to Akron. He's rumored to be the head coach there. Um, you're going to have a chance. And I think their defense will rise up. It's a culture thing. Like I don't think they're going to get run all over, but I just go back to you're going to, can you can you stop Utah's run game for four quarters? Like that's what this thing's going to come down to. And I don't think there's a tactic. I don't think you can slant more, you can twist more. Like you have to win more. And and we'll see. We'll see how they do in that regard. I, I'm excited. Both teams are. I, I referenced some injuries. They 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 all have a couple, but I think collectively, at least Oregon is as healthy as they've been in a while. Yeah which is what they need. Um, all right, so we got you covered there. Tune into that. Um, all right, before we get to Michael and the humanity moment of the week, uh, a quick message from our sponsors over at BetterHelp. Is there something that is preventing you from achieving your goals or interfering with your happiness? If there is, let me tell you about BetterHelp. It's professional help done securely online. Go to betterhelp.com. Now, BetterHelp will assess your individual needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist to allow you to connect in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient, you can start communicating in less than 48 hours. And BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's an avenue to accessing professional therapy without having to sit in in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp has licensed professionals who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, as well as relationships and grief counseling. You can message your counselor at any time and get timely, thoughtful responses. And you can even set up a weekly video or phone session. Now, if you need particular expertise, find it here online. Don't just limit yourself to the counselors located near you and do it in a manner that's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And financial aid is available. And so many people have been using BetterHelp. They are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. If you want to start living a happier life or deal with whatever you're going through, dive in. And as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash yogi. Join over the 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, it's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash yogi today. And one addendum to that, go to the New York Times. Solomon Thomas is a beautiful article today. Um, it'll be all week long about mental health and his stance on it uh, for the former Stanford star. He's been in the NFL. He's still in the NFL. He's gone through a lot. Um, I think you'll really enjoy yeah. reading that uh, about him. Michael? Great for him. Let's keep the dialogue up. Uh, one thing that we didn't get to that I got to mention before I get to the humanity. Max Borgie, the bowling ball run to the end zone in the Apple Cup was awesome. But the shot of him channeling Red Auerbach – with the Apple Cup trophy <laughs> and the cigar was one of the Gardner Minshew eat your heart out. That might be my favorite photo of a, a Cougar alum from football right now. Oh, that was that was cool. awesome. So let me take you back. Purple Rain, Prince, born in the USA, Bruce Springsteen, like a virgin, Madonna, the unforgettable fire, you too. Just some of the songs of the soundtrack of 1984, which is a long time ago, but 1984, the year that Tim Tessalone, the great sports information director at USC, took the head job. He had been there a little longer, but he took the head job in 1984. He started, I think, 77, but the albums in 77 I didn't like, so we're going to start in 1984. I didn't want to do disco. <laughs> um, so anyway, in that time, from now to then, seven U.S. presidents have come and gone since Tim took the job as the SID. 
Uh, I first met him in 2007, the year of the infamous upset, at least in the minds of USC fans, to Stanford. And I was working for the fledgling Versus Network. And I came in and I sent him an email. I was like, wow, the number one team in the country. And I'm working for Versus. He doesn't even know who I am. This guy's going to big time me. Absolutely not. 100% professional. 100% professional of this tiny network. And it was the first time I met him. I was just impressed with how he treated uh, me from that little network. In that time, I worked with him with the Pac-12 network, ABC, NBC, ESPN. No matter who I was with, it was always the same. And I mean that in a great way. And no matter which coach he was with, he was with 10 different coaches in the time he was the head SID at, at USC. All of them very different in how they treated, responded, and worked with the media. But every time on Friday, the coaches were always professional. They were always on time. And whatever player we needed, Tim got him to us. So that's like, that's the basics. I, that's the number one thing I'll always remember about him is he always treated everybody with respect and everybody the same because the goal was to get the best show on the air and get his stories out. And that's the way you do it. So that's kind of the broad strokes for Tim because I know there's been all these accolades and everything, but I think I want to give a couple moments that I felt that was, that's one that jumps out at me. And then the other, I'll never forget uh, September 22nd, 10 years later, September 22nd, or sorry, September 2nd, 2017, Western Michigan, USC, a meaningless blowout for USC. But what happened at the end wasn't meaningless at all. That was the game Jake Olson came out and the blind snapper and snapped the punt. And that's the story. And that's the story we covered. And that's the story that everyone got to see. But the only reason that anyone got to see that was because Tim, who I think he was under orders not to tell anyone that this was going to happen <laughs> came and trusted Scott Barkey and I, and just said, you can't tell anybody, but if we call a timeout after we score on an extra point, Jake might come out. And that's all he said. And he said, you can't tell anyone. So we told one cameraman, we told the three announcers and that was all that knew. And then I'll never forget it. SC scores, the whistle blows timeout and we're, we were ready. And it happened. And the only reason we were able to cover that is because Tim trusted us to keep a secret if we needed to, but wanted to give us the ability to cover it right if it happened. And I'll never forget that. Um, so the fanfare and the platitudes aren't entirely or even marginally about his longevity at USC, but it's really about what he did in that time for those who had the opportunity to work with him. So Tim Tessalone, all the SIDs in the Pac-12, but Tim Tessalone, obviously, this is your moment and could not appreciate you more. Pure yeah. class, Tim. And you know what, Michael, what you, he, he, Tim's very smart. You know what word he used in that story you just said? He said, Jake might come out. Yes. <laughs> that's yes. why you know, that's why he's Hall of Fame. Right. Because he used the word might. Yep. <laughs> but the beautiful thing in our business, and Tim, who I've known for most of the 40 years uh, and John Heisler, who just finished up a 40 year run at Notre Dame are the two legends that are just pure class. And they, they are sadly a dying breed because they never insulted our intelligence. You kept using the word professionals. They treat us as professionals and understand that we have a job to do and they don't need to uh, uh, 
they don't need to share any state secrets with us, nor do they need to try to ram and be a flack and ram stuff down our throat. That's what I respect most is that they treated us like professionals. So, Tim, uh, that's just, we're going to miss him. Hey, man, I saw him yesterday and I said, man, congrats. What a career. He goes, you're not going to get rid of me. You're going to still talk to me. I know all three of us <laughs> will still talk to him. Keep talking to us here on the podcast. Enjoy Champ Week, and we'll talk to you next week as someone will be going to the Rose Bowl. See you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.